The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. What have you found, Doctor? Mr. Clang was right about one thing. He is a superbomb. But unless I'm mistaken, he is no ordinary one. Meaning? His DNA is Sulevon, but his anatomy has been altered. Look at this lung. Five bronchial lobes, you see. It should only have three. And look at the alveoli clusters. They've been modified to process different kinds of atmosphere. Are you saying he's some kind of a mutant? Oh, well, I, uh, I suppose I am, but this was no accident. No uh, freak of nature. This man was the recipient of some very sophisticated genetic engineering. Watch this. Subcutaneous pigment sacs. A biomimetic garment and the eyes are my favorite. Compound retinas. He most likely saw things even your sensors couldn't detect. It's not in their genome. No, certainly not. Vasulaban are no more evolved than humans. It is very impressive work, though. Never seen anything quite like it. One of the features of this fourth industrial revolution is that it doesn't change what we are doing, but it changes us. Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, March the 10th, 2022. I'm Bob Metz. And this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing. It's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. So, what do COVID-19, vaccinations, rotating lockdowns, the stolen U.S. election, coronavirus... Biolabs, genetic engineering, Russia, NATO, monetary inflation, the truckers' convoy in Canada and now in the U.S., the millions of adverse reactions to the mandated injections, mask mandates, censorship, climate change, and the war in Ukraine all have in common? (laughs) They all play a part in the same narrative. They're all part of that same narrative, leading towards the single goal and objective of globalism and the Great Reset, and the attempted efforts of the criminal elite to establish global fascism, a narrative that has now become so clear and visible and so obvious that it is astounding. There are still those who think we're in the middle of a viral pandemic, when the pandemic is 100% political and which has pushed us into a literal war between individual freedom and collectivist tyranny. As always, Freedom sits on the right of the political polarity, while tyranny sits squarely on the left. And in the corner on the left, we have the likes of Joe Biden, Hunter Biden, Nancy Pelosi, Justin Trudeau, Klaus Schwab, Anthony Fauci, and other sinister characters about whom the mainstream media can speak no evil. While in the corner on the right sit two of the most unlikely allies one could ever have imagined. Vladimir Putin, and Donald Trump. Despite their intrinsic ideological differences, it is about these two world leaders that the Western media has lied the most and continues to do so in a frenzy that is unlike anything I've ever seen. Why? Well, because they're both opposed to a globalist one-world government and both independently and fundamentally believe in the ideal of sovereign nations, which is perhaps why... 
From the very beginning, the global fascists insisted that there was some kind of collusion going on between them. But their proven lies about Russian collusion over the past several years speaks to their own Russian delusion, a delusion that they have infected many others with. Sadly, the state media propaganda seems to work effectively on a significant number of members in the public, and as a consequence, everyone's eyes are hypnotically fixated on the latest distraction from the big agenda, which of course is Agenda 21 and 30, that is the real and present danger that all of the world citizens face today. So, before we return our attention to those issues that really merit our attention, Let's deal with the whole Ukraine situation right after our reminder that you can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. Hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave. Follow and like us on your favorite podcast platform and visit us at justrightmedia.org where you can access all of our social media links and archived broadcasts. As always, your financial support is appreciated and is what makes this show possible. And as always, the constant barrage of outright lies and disinformation from the propaganda media is what makes this show necessary. If the conflict in Ukraine demonstrates anything, it is that from the point of view of the state media, making stuff up about the situation in Ukraine is no more difficult or morally prohibitive then all the BS narratives they've been spouting with regard to all of the other issues and people we mentioned in our opener. So I thought we'd begin our discussion today by addressing the latest globalist distraction, of course being the conflict in Ukraine. And it seems to me that Putin has already fought and won that war, but it's clear that Biden, Trudeau, and others on the fascist left would love to initiate a conflict in that region of the world. And if you heard last week's show with Robert Vaughn and Salim Mansour, you'll understand why. When it comes to Putin, I should point out that this show, Just Right, was only on the air for a few months when on Just Right number 36, January 10, 2008, we shared Russian chess champion Garry Kasparov's warning to, quote, be wary of Putin, end quote. And I was. And only a few months after that, on Just Right 71, which happened to be on September 11, 2008, I was joined by Salim Mansour for some reflections on 9-11 along with our second warning to beware of Putin. At that time, our discussion revolved around Russia's role in Georgia. And also at that time, Salim was still a Toronto Sun columnist, along with his position of being Associate Professor of Political Science at the University of Western Ontario. And if you check out his discussion with Robert Vaughn on YouTube and Rumble a couple of weeks ago, Salim mentioned how he ended his stint with the Toronto Sun, having been forced to part ways for much the same reasons as Robert Vaughn and I and this show were forced off the air at CHRW FM Radio in London. You know, for telling the truth in an age of dishonesty and lies. And man, oh man, is it ever bad. And on Just Right... Number 340, March 6, 2014, almost eight years ago to the day, we discussed the myth of democracy in Ukraine and how the citizens of Ukraine were starving to discover capitalism and freedom. And right after that, we also discussed the myth of democracy right here in London, Ontario, Canada. 
And that myth was again clearly illustrated with everything to do with COVID, to say nothing of the tyrannical and unconscionable action of the Trudeau dictatorship in Ottawa and across the country. We have, of course, been batting a thousand on all of those issues and perspectives as time and events continue to prove us just right. So here we are in 2022, dealing with all of the pieces and variants of the bigger picture that have to be painted and clearly seen in order for us to understand them. And if you've all been listening to or hearing from what is the state-funded media, well, here's the bad news. You'll never be informed of anything like what you're about to hear next. You'll just be totally ignorant of all the facts. I can hear it in everything I hear on the daily broadcast. It's just amazing how it's a different world. So on this side of our upcoming bumper, from the UK show right now, hosted by Gareth Icke, a portion of his March 4th interview with Eva Bartlett, whose credibility and authority on the subject of what's happening in Ukraine is established in the opening remarks of their discussion. And on the return side of the bumper, Greg Reese of InfoWars uses the situation in Ukraine to illustrate how truth is always the first casualty of war on his March 3rd broadcast. First tonight, journalist, writer and human rights activist Eva Bartlett. She joins us from Russia. Eva sprung to prominence covering the war against Syria and has also reported from the front line in Gaza. Her stance has made her unpopular with a few of the Western media, so we thought we'd invite her onto the show to give us her take on Russia-Ukraine, as we don't believe we're being told by the official channels the definite truth. Eva, welcome to Right Now. So, without being massively vague, what, what, what is going on at the moment? Well, since the, the coup in Ukraine in 2014, which saw far-right neo-Nazi powers come to power in Ukraine, which saw for the next you know um, eight years, not only the uh, repression of the Ukrainian people, uh, journalists, people who spoke out, people who uh, didn't like this neo-Nazi type government, but also for the past eight years, the shelling of the people of Donbass, who are Russian speaking, identify culturally as Russian. And when they saw the crimes that were happening in Kiev and later in Odessa, where 42 people were massacred, at least 42, that's a, that's the minimum number, in the, the fire in, in the trade house, which was deliberately, this was a deliberate massacre, and it still has not been um, investigated by Ukrainian authorities. When the people in the Donbass saw that, uh, Donbass being eastern Ukraine, they said, we don't want that coming to us. We, we want to be autonomous. And since that point, the Ukrainian forces, uh, again with neo-Nazi forces in them, neo-Nazi battalions, have been shelling relentlessly the people of Donbass. So this has been going on for eight years and you know we haven't heard uh, any Western condemnation of that, of the thousands of civilians in the Donbass who have been killed. But now suddenly when Russia decides, okay, enough is enough, you know, Russia has for years pushed for a diplomatic resolution to the issue of the Donbass and Ukraine. And in fact, I think it was 2019, Russia put forth a process to denazify Ukraine. Ukraine and the US did not um, agree with that. So that's, that's one notable point that they have the West has been supporting the, these neo-Nazis in Ukraine, including Canada. Um, and, you know, right now there's a whole lot of outcry about Russia having uh, currently waged an operation in Ukraine to denazify Ukraine. Um, but the people who are crying, uh, large, I mean, the general public, 
I get the sense that number one, they don't have any idea that that the Ukraine uh, Ukrainian army and neo-Nazi battalions have been warring upon the people of the Donbass, killing them, including children, shooting at schools, um, targeting civilian infrastructure. And number two, I, I guess they're just simply not aware of these neo-Nazi factions within Ukraine because I don't see how any um, any logical, rational, empathetic person empathetic person could ever support what's happening in Ukraine. Well, I think the fact is the mainstream media, as you've pointed out there, they don't report this. Like, so what you've said there, that doesn't come on our screens here in, in, no. in the UK at all. No, in, in 2019, I went to the Donbass for just under three weeks and I went to frontline areas. I went to villages that were 500 meters from these Ukrainian forces and that were being shelled on a nightly basis and also during the day. And I spoke with the remaining residents um, and those were generally the ones I met were elderly who had nowhere to go, no means of fleeing the area. So they were subject to the daily and nightly um, shelling and heavy machine gun firing of the Ukrainian forces. Uh, and, you know, th this is not being reported. And, and also for people who aren't aware, in like 2014 or 2015, um, there were accords signed in Minsk and these prohibited the use of heavy weaponry from either side. And Ukraine has continually and consistently violated that by using heavy weapons against the people of the Donbass. In one village I went to, I spoke with the, the village uh, administrator, I think her position was, who told me they haven't known a moment's peace since this began. None of the truce accords ever reached that village. It's called Zaitsevo if people want to look it up. And um, she was just stressing, you know, like, uh, she sees firsthand what's happening because uh, it's uh, she taught herself to drive so she could go there to the place that's just been targeted and document it because nobody else is doing that except for, of course, local journalists. And she said, essentially, they're taking apart the houses one by one. They do a line of houses, then they go to the next street and they destroy them. And when I was there, I saw a house that was still smoldering from an attack two days ago. It was completely gutted. And these are these are regions there are people still living and they're being attacked by Ukrainian forces. And the body that was mandated to document it, the OSCE, has very, it, it turns a blind eye to these, these war crimes uh, of Ukraine. And so I would just encourage people, don't take my word for it, you know, do some research, look at a variety of sources aside from the mainstream media and ask, you know, why is it that you're being told to care only about one side and are there other parties in this that you should actually be a little bit concerned about? Because there are definitely. And also, you know, from my experience in Syria, um, there's a lot of war propaganda. There's a lot of manufactured stories that just simply are not true. Photos being taken from other places, other countries, other years, and being put out there in the media, both on social media and by corporate media like the BBC, um, and being fed, feeding the general public a narrative that isn't true. I, I was going to ask, I was actually going to touch on that next, was, was the fake images, because there's been yeah. so many of them. And, and also here in the UK now, you can't get RT. So RT and Sputnik are gone. Um, they're not on the television. They've been taken off of Freeview. There wasn't even an announcement of that. They just deleted them from Freeview. Um, you can't get them on the internet now. And so that to me is very, is very strange. If you're, if you're selling this idea of, you know, we're, the, we're a free, liberal Western democracy and you're, you're silencing any information coming out the other side, while at the same time you're peddling misinformation constantly. I wanted to mention one important thing, or a couple more important things as to why why now, you know, why now is Russia 
taking the action to denazify Ukraine and to uh, try to provide security for the people in the Donbass and for the people in Ukraine. Again, it must be stressed. You know, we don't hear in corporate media about the increase of NATO threats and provocations. We don't hear about NATO's presence in countries bordering Russia. We don't hear that um, in February, President Zelensky, he announced that he wanted to make Ukraine a nuclear power uh, in violation of the Budapest Memorandum of 1994. And I must admit here, uh, I'm reading for, from a Corbett report, recent report that I would highly encourage people to look at because he makes a number of points like, you want to talk about war, where do we start? Do we start with Russia's operation in Ukraine? Do we start with uh, these events I've just cited? Do we start with the eight years of warring on Donbass? Do we start with the coup d'etat? He makes very good points. And again, this is um, in contrast to the media hype that we're being exposed to now that suddenly out of nowhere, Russia, this big evil empire is invading the, the innocent you know, government of Ukraine. Do you, do you know what else they're saying here? I don't know if you're hearing about it there, that, that, that um, Putin's only doing it because he's, he's lost his mind because of COVID. That, that was actually a front page article in the British media that he had COVID, it's driven him mad and that's why he's doing it. I mean, <laughs> you know, you don't have to like, you don't have to like Putin, but watch his interviews and you will see that he's a very measured in his speech and nothing he says is by accident. Nothing he says is offhand. It's very deliberated. You will see that his his words are very calculated and they are, you, you can clearly see these are not the words of a madman. That doesn't mean you have to agree with him or like him, but certainly if you if you watch him and come away with the thought that he's a madman, then I think your sense of perception is off. I think also if you think he's a madman, then the, the, or at least if the perception is out there that he's a madman, then that fear of he could just go mad and, and press the red button and, and destroy yes. is, is in people's minds, isn't it? And that's probably part of the well, idea. Yeah, and that, that is that is a constant media tactic we've seen over and over again. We saw it with Syria, uh, the cartoonish, literally cartoonish. Uh, you know, you'd see caricatures of President Assad looking like a monster with baby's blood dripping off his mouth or something like that. And that that's one of the things the media does first and foremost because the media is working lockstep with these Western governments that want to achieve something, whether it's propping up this neo-Nazi regime in Ukraine or vilifying Russia or vilifying uh, Syria in order to overthrow the, the legitimate government of Syria. The first thing, among the first things they do is to vilify the leadership to the most ridiculous point and ad nauseum so that the Western public who generally don't have time to research, maybe don't know where, where to look to find more accurate sources. They start without even thinking about it, just the, this concept of this, this guy's a ruthless dictator who just loves to chemical weapon his, his civilians, his, his people, becomes embedded in people's minds, you know, without even knowing it. Yeah, and it just suddenly becomes fact. Thank you so much for coming on, Eva. And thanks for, t people didn't know this stuff about the Donbass. You know, maybe some of the people that, that watch this show would have known about it, but, but other people that will see these clips on social media and further afield won't have known any of that because we don't get told it. first casualty of war is the truth. And if the American people knew the truth about U.S. interference in Ukraine, they might not be so eager to start World War III. During World War II, Western Ukraine sided with the Nazis. After the war, the CIA helped Ukrainian Nazis evade the Nuremberg trials and began operating with them within the Ukraine. 
After decades of CIA infiltration, the Ukrainian People's Movement emerged in 1989 and gave birth to extremist groups Svoboda, Trident, and Right Sector. Neo-Nazi groups pushing for the ethnic cleansing of Ukraine. Extremist groups cultivated by the CIA, supported by the U.S. State Department, and used by the IMF to bring Ukraine to heel. When Yanukovych beat NATO-backed Yushchenko in the 2010 elections, his government was being pressured into signing an EU association agreement by the International Monetary Fund in their typical conquer-by-debt offer that would financially ruin the Ukraine and place them at the mercy of the World Bank. Yanukovych declined their offer. And in today's corrupt world, you're not allowed to say no to the IMF. Funded by Western NGOs associated with George Soros and the CIA, a highly organized color revolution was immediately deployed against Yanukovych. Organizations such as the National Endowment for Democracy trained activist journalists to utilize Facebook along with three brand new television networks created within weeks to recruit people for the protests. This Western-run media campaign was a huge success. The turnout was massive. The CIA has been orchestrating revolutions their entire career, and the first step to their simple formula is to convince people to take to the streets in peaceful protest. They then use agitators to goad the police into violence and state-run media to ignite the crowd with emotionally charged reports of sacred victims. On November 30th, 2013, the Ukrainian chief of staff, associated closely with the U.S. State Department, ordered the streets to be cleared of protesters for the erection of the annual Christmas tree. When the police arrived, they were met by a highly aggressive and well-organized faction of Ukraine's right sector, who provoked the police into a violent reaction against peaceful protesters, which is all the Western intelligence media reported on. Predictably, this resulted in more unrest and violence, which was further fueled by U.S. Senator John McCain's support of the protests. Leaked phone calls reveal that the U.S. State Department was orchestrating this coup d'etat from within the U.S. Embassy with support from Vice President Joe Biden. On February 20th, unidentified snipers firing from government buildings occupied by the protesters began firing into the crowd, killing people on all sides. Yanukovych's home and offices were taken by armed mobs, and a new government was put into place with a neo-Nazi element that went on to accept the IMF's spurious loan offer and began murdering the Russian-speaking population of Ukraine in Donbass. As a result of this Western-created quagmire, 96% of the people in Crimea voted in favor of joining Russia. And while the nation celebrated, Western media reported that they were invaded by Russia. Their proof? A Russian military presence which has existed there since 1804. Supporting a criminal war against Russia does not make you a patriot. It makes you a useful idiot of the globalist banking cartel. The very same entities waging war on all of humanity with vaccine passports and experimental jabs. A righteous patriot would call out his government for war crimes. And through fraud and deceit, the United States government has been the world's biggest purveyor of war crimes for decades. All in the name of spreading McDonald's, 
genetically modified foods, and sexual perversions worldwide. Reporting for InfoWars, this is Greg Reese. Reporter Eva Bartlett, referring to the far-right neo-Nazis, is of course a classic misnomer. The Nazis were, in both theory and practice, on the left. Since the right properly represents freedom, the contradiction in saying far-right neo-Nazis becomes a bit obvious. And consider how, in that interview on a UK show with a reporter in Russia, that Canada was specifically raised and identified as a nation supporting the neo-Nazis in Ukraine. This, of course, is perfectly consistent, given Trudeau's fascist ideology, again on the left, and his finance minister's direct links to those neo-Nazis. And the question of who actually quote-unquote started the war, as in where do we start, speaks to a deeply philosophical principle that applies to everything, including existence itself, the so-called law of causality. We've devoted entire past broadcasts to illustrating why all notions of causality are subjective because you can't discuss causes without beginning with their effect. And then working backwards from that point, cause and effect operate in a continuum. You can't really separate one from the other, and that applies to the nature of existence itself. There is no first cause, contrary to Big Bang adherence. Which always leaves us with having to assess what is the right thing to do, given the right perspective. Wherever you may sit on that ethical spectrum in determining who you can trust or believe. Consider the difference in approach. Those who offer a true narrative of what is happening always encourage others to not take their word for it, but do their own investigations and to ask questions. Be your own fact checker. And those who spout the official state-funded narrative always insist that you do not listen to other narratives or do your own investigations. They'll do the fact checking for you. In other words, the likes of Trudeau, Ford, Biden, and of course, representatives of the pharma industry all know that they are lying. They are fully conscious of their dark evils, which they cannot afford to have exposed to the light of reality. That attitude alone is enough to convict them, yet millions not only continue to believe such liars, but actively join them in their evil. From the Karens to the outright psychopaths like Trudeau and Schwab, they're all engaged in crimes against humanity, indeed against the human species as such. You know, I'd like to cite some famous quote like, Forgive them, Lord, for they know not what they are doing. But I'm not in a particularly forgiving mood when I know that their actions are a direct threat to everyone's life and well-being. Which in turn is why a lot of them don't want to hear a message like this. Ignorance provides them with the bliss of irresponsibility and lack of concern for others. And the insult that they add to our injuries is that they are the altruists virtue signaling their vices into some high and noble purpose. See no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. Just do it. Right? That, in a nutshell, is one accurate interpretation of the so-called cycle of history, which is never learned because history merely illustrates. It does not convey knowledge or understanding. Even as we witness history in the making day by day, the ignorance about what's happening in front of our very eyes when the evidence can be objectively verified firsthand and not through the eyes of some other historian we still can't figure out what's going on. 
While it is true to say that we never learn from history, that is only because history does not convey knowledge, understanding, or the values necessary to establish a free society. And here's the real scary part of this history lesson. Not only do we fail to learn from history, we consciously and deliberately refuse to do so, something I've repeated many times over the years, during which this show has been broadcast. Consider how often our fascist politicians and media go completely conspiracy crazy whenever someone tries to compare what they're doing with Hitler or with the Nazis. They claim they're doing it to somehow protect the sensitivities of those who suffered under Hitler, which would include, by the way, my entire family. Thanks, but no thanks. By simply condemning and ignoring people who compare their actions to Nazism, instead of refuting the accusation or proving them wrong, they've already confessed to the crime of which they are being accused. And here's someone who agrees with me, from the March 4th Stu Peters broadcast. Vera Sharav was born in Romania in 1937, and that wasn't a good year or a good place to be born, to say the least. She had to survive World War II and the Nazi Holocaust as a child. Her father didn't make it. Fortunately, after the war, Vera came to the United States. She became a medical activist after her son died from a bad reaction to a drug that he was prescribed. Today, she's the founder of the Alliance for Human Research Protection. She's been a relentless campaigner for patient rights and informed consent. Her work has sparked Senate investigations of drug companies, and she exposed the experimental use of HIV drugs on toddlers in the New York foster care system. She revealed and helped cancel a program that would have paid poor parents to intentionally expose their children to pesticides just to see what might happen. In short, Vera Sharav has seen all of the unethical practices of our medical industrial complex up close, and she's been seeing it for decades. Yet the events of the last couple years are like almost nothing she's ever seen before. Almost nothing. She joins us now, Vera. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you very much for inviting me. We have been persecuted and blasted for making the comparison between what we're seeing in America and globally right now to Nazi-controlled 1930s Germany. Are we wrong? No, you're not wrong. And those, I call them vigilantes, those who pounce on anyone who dares to show the relevance of the Holocaust to what's going on historically today. This is history in the making. And by isolating the Holocaust and keeping it totally separate from history really is a crime. I consider that a worse crime than Holocaust deniers because they are holding the history of the Holocaust away from people who need to learn it because the only way that we can avoid repeating some of those horrors is by having a historical perspective, by recognizing the signs before it's too late. Yeah, so. and I mean, all of the precursors are here. We're seeing quarantine camps being built. People are being forced in to take shots that they don't want or they don't need. Uh, they're being separated from their families and loved ones as they're murdered in these institutions that we used to hold up as some of the most regarded uh, institutions at hospitals are now the killing fields, uh, yeah. you know, and the social unrest, the rioting, the burning, the looting, the stealing, the robbing. I mean, everything in this environment that we're seeing right now in America 
This is what was seen in 1930s Nazi-controlled Germany. Now, you were from Romania. Your dad didn't make it. You did. You're doing a whole lot of things now to bring attention to all of this, and you're making a huge difference. Tell us about that. Well, yes, I am talking as much as I can, whoever will have me, because I absolutely want to prevent the horror from repeating itself. Of course, it wouldn't be exactly in the same way. There won't be gas chambers. Now everything will be electronically done. Part of the issue with this uh, experimental injections that were being, well, they're trying to force it on everyone, is we don't even know the ingredients of it. There are some ingredients that are blacked out. Shouldn't you know what is being put into your body? If you succumb and acquiesce to the demand that you allow them to do whatever, inject you with whatever they decide, you seriously and completely lose control over everything about your life. And that's what they have planned. One of the, I used to say that what distinguished the Holocaust from all other genocides was the collaboration and the uh, more than support of the medical establishment. They made it possible and they gave the seal of legitimacy to genocide, to infanticide. Really the first medical murder victims of the Nazis were German. They were German infants and children under the age of three. Their crime was that they weren't perfect, they were disabled. And then older children with disabilities, the mentally ill, and finally the nursing home residents. Now doctors deemed these people as unworthy of life, useless eaters. That's the kind of terminology that medical doctors used. Okay, once you do that, you essentially trash all normative uh, principles of medicine and of humanity. I'm sure that you've seen that doctors today are doing the exact same thing. Courtney Bennett with the Mayo Clinic. She oversees the cardiac intensive care unit in Rochester, Minnesota. One of the most highly regarded elite medical care systems ever in the world up until recently, of course, when she publicly posts on her social media that if you choose to be unvaccinated, just go home and die. Well, they actually in March and April 2020, Western European countries, United States, Canada, Australia, brought back T4 is the project that they called it in Germany when they euthanized all these people who were disabled. They were an economic burden, essentially, and that's exactly why the nursing homes. The countries throughout Western Europe five states in the United States, I think, in Canada, the heads of state issued orders to hospitals not to treat the elderly, but to send them to nursing homes in the full knowledge that nursing homes couldn't cope with any infectious disease. So this is how they got rid of the economic burden of the elderly. Now, we've heard already from former BlackRock uh, person that the Social Security, Medicare, those budgets are empty. They don't have money. So the elderly are 
a target, just as they were in Nazi Germany. And it's interesting because it was said here when I first brought this up, oh, but this was to alleviate the hospital uh, overcrowding. They needed the beds. Well, that's exactly what the Nazis said. They needed the beds for wounded soldiers. The point is, when you devalue some members of your community and you say they are unworthy of life or they have no value for you, but others do, you, this is eugenics. And eugenics is the real virus that has infected public health and the upper echelons of academia. Andrew Cuomo uh, in New York, sending all of these people to their death, these geriatrics to their death. I just got to ask you, I mean, do you see this as a genocide happening right now? Absolutely. The minute you take away our freedom, our individual rights and freedom as free citizens, you are on the slippery slope. So what because do we do at this point? I mean, you're the founder of the Alliance for Human Research Protection. You've intervened personally. What do we do on a wide scale, in your opinion? Well, what the truckers do, what the Canadian truckers do. In other words, we have to say no. If millions of people said, no, we will not comply. We don't want the, the booster. How many boosters will there be? Limitless. Yeah. After all, it's a cash cow. It's an absolute cash cow. They've In every made- aspect of the word. It's a cash cow for the pharmaceutical companies, for their executives. It's a cash cow for people like Jeff Bezos and Mark Zuckerberg, because the more you are locked down, the, the more, more money they do. make. Uh, So united noncompliance is what you're calling for. Vera Sharab, for your work, thank you so much and for your bravery. God bless you. We appreciate you being here. Thank you very much. meantime, thank goodness for conventional forces. Well, Minister, our conventional forces would hold the Russians for, at most, 72 hours. Is that all? Mm-hmm. So, in the event of an emergency, I would have to make an instant decision. Oh, no, no, no. You probably have 12 hours. 12 hours? Shouldn't we do something about this? We should. For 20 years, our politicians have told us they can't afford the conventional forces to do the job. Conventional forces are terribly expensive, Prime Minister. Much cheaper just to press a button. <laughs> You're listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. And shouldn't we all be grateful that Putin is spending his money on a conventional military in Ukraine? Well, if Vera Sharav's warning about the medical establishment's role in Nazi Germany isn't disturbing enough, consider that Germany introduced socialized medicine in the late 1800s under Bismarck. And as listener Ediola S. observed recently, socialized health care is the Trojan horse of tyranny. And speaking of fascist tyranny, and what it looks like in practice, I just had to share with you the following very disturbing audio bite from a video brought to my attention on a recent Alex Jones show. In it, he introduces two clips back to back. The first taken from a live television broadcast in Australia featuring a discussion on the situation in Ukraine wherein a young Russian-Australian named Sasha attempts to express some basic verifiable truths. The second clip concerned an incident that took place in, of all places, a school in northern Texas where a student, who appeared to be restrained in some fashion at the front of his class, 
was being shamed by his fellow classmates for having a different view on Ukraine. It's right out of a World War II Nazi propaganda movie. RT was taken off in Europe, so that took it off in the UK. Now, it's been shut down here in the United States as of yesterday. You can say, well, I don't want to see that RT propaganda. Well, don't you want to hear what the other side has to say? Isn't that what freedom is all about? I mean, back in World War II, they played clips at the movie theaters and the newsreels of what Hitler said. Americans were able to hear what Hitler said. It was only Nazi Germany that you couldn't hear what the outsiders were saying, and it was punishable by prison or death. So here are some of these clips back to back. First, what happened in Australia, uh, and then what happened in North Texas. So as someone who comes from the Russian community here in Australia, I've been pretty outraged by the narrative created by our media depicting the Ukraine as the good guy and Russia as the bad guy. Believe it or not, there are a lot of Russians here and around the world that support what Putin uh, is doing in the Ukraine, myself included. Uh, since 2014, uh, the Ukrainian government, together with Nazi groups like the Azov Battalion, have besieged the Russian populations in the Donbass, killing an estimated 13,000 people, Can I... according to the United Nations. That's late. That's yeah. late. Could I finish? Just, just, just quick, quick, quickly finish, and then, and then we'll come to, yeah, that, yeah. That to the panel. So my, my question is, you know, where was your outpouring of grief and concern for those thousands of mostly Russians? Um, okay, question earlier about Russia, and it's been playing on my mind. And Sasha, people here have been talking about family who are suffering and people are dying. And I understand you wanted to ask your question about is there some reasoning for this, but you supported what's happening, hearing that people are dying. And can I just say I'm just not comfortable with you being here? Could, could you please leave? I've, I've been, it's really, no, Sasha, I'm sorry, you, you, you could ask a question, you could ask a question, but we cannot advocate violence. I should have asked you to leave then, it's been playing on my mind, and I'm sorry, but I have to ask you to leave, please. Okay, well, could I? No, 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 please, 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 just, 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 just out of respect. Just, no, please, we're not having the conversation, Sasha. We, we can't have people advocating violence. And I should have asked you to leave. It's been playing on my mind. I wanted to have a, a proper conversation about these things, but I have to ask you to leave. I'm really sorry. Okay, I'm, I'm sorry for that. But, you know, these things happen. It's live television. You think about these things. It's really been troubling me that we can have a conversation and we can look at where, where, where the arguments are and we can try to look at the sides of the argument. We can't have, have that. And I'm, I'm sorry, it should have happened earlier. What you just heard was a classroom full of frenzied and irrational masked students shouting effing fascist at some poor fellow at the front of the class who attempted to convey an alternate viewpoint on Ukraine. The whole class was banging their fists in unison on their desks. They literally looked like they were being manipulated by some external force. Unbelievably evil to the core. They are the effing fascists. The irrational hatred in their eyes and voices was palpable and quite terrifying, if you ask me. 
It's also worth commenting on the fact that RT, the Russian television network, has been taken off in Europe and elsewhere. Is it just a coincidence that during the past two years of protests against the lockdowns in Europe, often the only news source reporting those events live was the RT network? I mean, I remember several times saying to myself how strange it was to be getting the real story on the ground from a Russian source of all places. And no mention of any of these events in the Western media. Talk about weirder. It's pretty clear that daring to tell the truth about Ukraine is as risky as telling the truth about COVID, the deadly injections, climate change, and any variant of fictionalized narratives that serve the globalist agenda. The idea that there are Russians around the world and in Ukraine who support Putin's action is clearly a truth that is verboten. Sasha, the Russian who was telling the factual truth to the panel that he was addressing, did not advocate violence, he decried it. The host of that Australian TV panel accused Sasha of, quote, supporting hearing that people are dying, end quote, which Sasha did not do, and on the basis of that utterly out of context and false interpretation, he accused Sasha of advocating violence. Shame on him. He's a perfect example of the pure evil just described by Holocaust survivor Vera Sharov. But Sasha clearly knew his history and reiterated the same perspective that we've been hearing from an endless array of alternate media, but never from the Western state media. And if you missed it, be sure to check out last week's broadcast with Salim Mansour for more accurate accounts of the Ukraine situation. Sasha cited death statistics of Russians killed by Ukraine forces and verified by the United Nations. But hey, we're not having that conversation, Sasha, says the panel censor. Remember the principle. The only casualty of censorship ever, and universally in all instances of censorship, is the truth. Nor could it be otherwise. Earlier in the show, Gregory cited an oft- quoted bromide, that truth is the first casualty of war. But it may be more accurate to say that war is a deadly consequence of truth's absence. It is difficult to overstate or exaggerate the absence of truth in the state-funded mainstream media about what is happening in Ukraine today. In fact, truth's absence is that media's elephant in the room, from viral pandemics to climate change to the police action against the Ottawa Freedom Convoy to the stolen American election to Trudeau's tyranny to mandated lockdowns and injections and now to events in Ukraine. Every state media account represents an intentionally false narrative. And that's because all of these things are connected. The same people initiating these events are also the same people paying the media to keep us distracted and misinformed about their own corruption. The difference of this forced uh, industrial revolution is it doesn't change what you are doing. It changes you if you take a genetic editing, right. uh, just as an example. It's you who are changed, yeah, and of yeah. course this has a big impact on yeah. your identity. Yeah. Editing your genes? Cool! I'll explain that later. But first, why do so many people consider this guy, Klaus Schwab, to be the most dangerous man in the world? 
Klaus and the World Economic Forum want a worldwide digital ID system that determines your access to goods and services. It would monitor your online behavior, purchases, and biometrics. It kind of seems like he just wants to do away with the whole democratic process and give all the power to the state and whoever runs the state, the deep state. But that's based on both his words and actions, so it's probably an inaccurate observation. Was Dr. Evil's character based on this reptile? Mr. Schwab writes the following. One of the greatest lessons of the past five centuries in Europe and America is this. Acute crisis contribute to boosting the power of the state. It's always been the case, and there is no reason why it should be different with a pandemic. Nobody ever elected Klaus Schwab to anything. This all just sounds like conspiracy, doesn't it? The World Economic Forum are good guys. Haven't you seen the headlines they pay for? Go green, right? Right? That's probably right. They truly are good guys. Accordingly, you'll be excited to hear that the lineup of World Economic Forum speakers at their annual gathering of elites in Davos included such benevolent humanitarians like Xi Jinping, the leader of the Chinese Communist Party, who's currently committing genocide, Anthony Fauci, who's arguably currently involved in crimes against humanity, and Bill Gates, who's arguably currently involved in crimes against humanity, and Australian Prime Minister Scott Morrison, who's arguably currently involved in crimes against humanity. What a great lineup. But my favorite economic forum speaker of all time is this reptile, Klaus Schwab's top advisor, Dr. Yuval Noah Harari. Let's see what he has to say. Data might enable human elites to do something even more radical than just build digital dictatorships. By hacking organisms, elites may gain the power to re-engineer the future of life itself. Because once you can hack something, you can usually also engineer it. Elites hacking organisms and re-engineering life itself? Well, he's not talking about doing that to people, is he? Now, in the past, many tyrants and governments wanted to do it, but nobody understood biology well enough, and nobody had enough computing power and data to hack millions of people. Neither the Gestapo nor the KGB could do it. But soon, at least some corporations and governments will be able to systematically hack all the people. Well, I guess he was talking about doing that to people. All people, to be specific. And if indeed we succeed in hacking and engineering life, this will be not just the greatest revolution in the history of humanity. This will be the greatest revolution in biology since the very beginning of life four billion years ago. For four billion years, nothing fundamental changed. Not playing God, are you? Because that usually works out super well. Science is replacing evolution by natural selection with evolution by intelligent design. Not the intelligent design of some god above the clouds. Oh, you are playing God. Say more. Evolution by natural selection with evolution by intelligent design. Not the intelligent design of some god above the clouds, but our intelligent design and the intelligent design of our clouds. The IBM cloud, the Microsoft cloud, these are the new driving forces of evolution. Gosh, you wouldn't by chance have a plan in place on how to control people with your cloud technology, would you? And that plan isn't by chance already being implemented, 
is it? Today, we have the technology to hack human beings on a massive scale. Oh, so you could implement it. In this time of crisis, you have to follow science. It's often said that you should never allow a good crisis to go to waste. Sounds familiar. And I guess you are implementing it already. Didn't anyone bother telling this guy not to say any of this out loud on camera? It's, it's just, it's a lot of evidence. Surveillance, people could look back in a hundred years and identify the coronavirus epidemic as the moment when a new regime of surveillance took over, especially surveillance under the skin. <laughs> my brain, my body, my life, does it belong to me? or to some corporation, or to the government, or perhaps to the human collective. This guy's revealing the whole plan. He's gonna ruin it. The World Economic Forum, out for the good of humanity. You'll own nothing, not even your own DNA, if we have our way. Conclusion to the question, is Klaus Schwab the most dangerous man in the world? Here's his top guy again. Humans are now hackable animals. You know, the, the whole idea that humans have, you know, this, they, they have this soul or spirit and they have free will and nobody knows what's happening inside me. So whatever I choose, whether in the election or whether in the supermarket, this is my free will, that's over. Free will, that's over. It will indeed be over. We are in the process of either the Great Reset or the Great Awakening, and the choice isn't Klaus Schwab's. The choice is yours. Frighteningly, our Western leaders and politicians are choosing to drag us into the Klaus Schwab world of no free will. <laughs> Intelligent design? I've never heard anything more insane or demented. There's absolutely nothing intelligent about any of this. In the end, if successful, there would be no purpose to any of it, especially in the absence of free will. And when you don't have free will, you don't have a free won't either. You can't say no to the guy who does have a free will. The very concept of purpose would become meaningless, except to those who were not genetically engineered. Hello? I've never heard anything more stupid in my life. I mean, this is beyond science fiction or fantasy horror. If this guy thinks not having a free will is something quote-unquote great, as in Great Reset, why doesn't he genetically edit himself? Or has he already sacrificed his free will thanks to repeated jabs and a lack of ability to choose that is already his fate? Maybe he's already acting like a robot. And these people are trying to convince us that Putin is the crazy one? When the reality of what's happening in the world today sounds so unbelievable and truly mad, is it any wonder that people choose to believe in a boogeyman like Vladimir Putin, or for that matter, Donald Trump, if they're really drowning in the Kool-Aid? You know, the world's in serious trouble when people would rather face a nuclear threat than face up to the lies of their own leaders and politicians. We're in a whole new fight, and I don't know if people will recognize it fast enough. It's moving too fast for the public to, to transition. But people transitioned overnight from COVID to Ukraine. Isn't that wild? 
It's so wild, but it's moving too fast. Was it Plato or Aristotle who said it's easier to fool a man than to convince a man that he's been fooled? And I think that's what we're dealing with, with right now. I think there are people, good people who did bad things, who are looking at like the Pfizer documents that are being released, that looking at what's happened. And they're maybe realizing what they did are wrong, but it's going to take them time to recover from that. It's like a, if you realize a truth that you have built your life on and that truth isn't real, then what mistakes have you made after that that you didn't know about either? Like you have to re-examine everything. When you find out that you'd fallen proverbially into a hole, you go back and re-examine and, and you stop forward momentum in order to examine what you did in order to not make that mistake again going forward. But a lot of the time it arrests you and it prevents you from making forward movement, right? Making progress. It's just a human thing. And, and the, that's why people say it's not about failure. It's about education, right? Like don't look at it like a failure. Look at it like, like you learned something. But a lot of people aren't in that mindset. It's very hard to have your reality shown to be not and then recover from that quickly. That was Canada Pauly's Mark Paralavos expressing what I thought was a very valid observation that in some ways describes a manifestation of the whole mass formation and mass psychosis phenomenon that we discussed on recent past broadcasts. Particularly his point about how seamlessly so many people transferred their anxieties from COVID to Ukraine. <laughs> yeah, that is really weird. Where did COVID suddenly go? Why isn't that issue still dominating our fake news media? Now, you know, I am well aware that there are many people out there who would be offended and shocked by the things that we routinely say on this show each and every week. Because our only agenda is the truth, and the truth is always more offensive than any lie. Ultimately, truth boils down to the recognition of reality. And the tragedy of our age is that too many people are too skeptical about the possibility that truth even can be objectively apprehended. You know, it's the old my truth versus your truth debate, which ignores the fact that truth is the same for everyone who actually does recognize it. And the crisis of having one's truth shattered speaks to our earlier conversation about truth being the first casualty of war. It's a crisis because discovering a shattered truth only verifies that there is some other truth not yet recognized. Unlike a human being who, as a casualty of war, ceases to exist, the truth continues to exist even as a casualty. By making truth a casualty even in times of peace, when an inevitable war or conflict arises, we may discover that the real first casualty of war is not the truth, which exists whether acknowledged or not, but the ability to speak out against the lies. As we will endeavor to do when we all get together again next week to continue our journey in the right direction. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color, color into black and white. Tell me, General, where's the hotline? Which one? The one to Russia. The red hotline, sir. <laughs> That's in Downing Street. In fact, we did once get through to the Kremlin, but only to a switchboard operator. Couldn't the operator put you through? We never found out. He didn't seem to speak much English. <laughs> mm. Now, this is it. Ah, 
Good. Um, what is it? The trigger, Prime Minister. The trigger? The nuclear trigger, the button. Oh, this? Uh, indirectly. Yes. <laughs> this is the telex communication with HMS Northwood. You would send a coded signal, and the telex operator from Northwood would send an authentication signal. So he knows it's from you, you see. When the instructions have been authenticated and the target indication made, Northwood would send a command to one of our Polaris submarines, and they'd press the button. Just like that? Just like that. When I say so? When you say so. Wouldn't anybody argue with me? Charlie <laughs> officers obey orders without question. Well, what if I have to get drunk? On the whole, it would be safe if you didn't. <laughs> Supposing I were to go off my rocker? Mm, I think the cabinet might notice. Count on it. <laughs> no, seriously, I mean, supposing I did and then changed my mind. Well, that's all right. No one would ever know, would they? 